Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today's guest is someone that I love and respect dearly. He is an author, speaker, and the director of Resolution Movement, which is a global movement helping young people overcome hurts and struggles and thrive in life. He just released his debut book, Free to Thrive, How Your Hurt, Struggles, and Deepest Longings Can Lead to a Fulfilling Life, which he co-authored with his co-author, which I believe is an amazing resource for anyone who may be longing for more in life. If you're anxious, depressed, struggling with addiction, or just need to find more in life, this episode is for you. Please help me welcome today's guest, Ben Bennett. Ben, what's up, bro? Come on, Trevor. So good to see you, to be with you. You know, the only place I'd rather be is probably there with you in person, or maybe on a tropical island on a vacation. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like that would be a little bit more fun, but this will do for now. And I hope you like that I said with his co-author to just give you all the clout for the book. But we are going to talk about that co-author because this book is amazing. Josh McDowell, Josh McDowell Ministries. Bro, what's up? What's up? What's good? You got the book. I got the book. I feel like we got to do a book high five through the Wi-Fi here. Ready? One. To bam, if you are not on YouTube, you're totally missing out right now. But missing dude, the I'm visuals. S- yeah, you're missing the visuals. Like, we've been on YouTube for like too many weeks now, and I have no clue how many weeks it's been, but it's been super fun. I enjoy having the video aspect as well to where everyone can see our pretty faces and my like very beautiful beard, which may or may not be here tomorrow, haven't decided yet, but it's great. Got to keep the stash at least. Yeah, you got it. No, definitely not. You're the only person that's going to do that, dude. But we've been trying to do this for a little bit. And my schedule and your schedule and everything has just been interesting. So I'm excited that we finally get to sit down and do it. Yeah, me too, man. It's awesome. It is finally working out. Yes. And also, if you're not watching on YouTube, you're not seeing all my beautiful dances. So we spent a little bit of time together in Dallas a few weeks ago, and it was like we had known each other forever. But we've Mm -hmm. actually, how long have we been communicating together? About a year. A year. Yeah. So it's like a year long bromance in the works. And we finally got to hang out and chill by the pool and in the hot tub. And it was a good time. So I'm glad we finally got to do that. And for everyone that's listening that wasn't there, I'm sorry because it was a good time. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I want to talk about this book, but I also want to talk about you as an individual because your story is just really amazing to me. And I personally found a lot of healing in it. And it's not just me as a friend saying that it's me as like someone who's been on the sidelines, seeing what God's doing in your life, the resolution movement and such. But I really like to dive into people's stories in particular, like the vulnerable pieces. Like you've gone through a lot of trauma in your life. You've gone through a lot of self-doubt, anxiety, depression, and things that a lot of people have, but they don't necessarily address, if that makes sense. So I find a lot of hearing healing and hearing people's stories. So would you be open to just starting off with a little bit of your background and your backstory? Absolutely, Trevor. You know, for me, um, it all began in 1989. That's when I was born. But I, (laughs) I grew up in in Virginia, and uh, early on, was surrounded by 
church, a Christian community. My parents were in ministry. So I grew up going to church weekly. And I heard about this, this loving God who wanted a relationship with me. Uh, but there was wrong things I did that separated me from God. So really early on, um, I understood that that Jesus loved me. He lived a perfect life I could never live. He died on the cross. He rose again. And he freely offered me forgiveness and a re- uh, reconciled relationship with God. So I was all in at a really young age, super stoked on that, had a relationship with God, talked to him all throughout the day. And while that relationship was restored, many other relationships were broken, particularly in relationships in my family. Uh, my, my dad was just so often so hot and cold, often so angry, uh, bullying towards me, name calling, um, just stonewalling. I often felt like I couldn't meet his expectations. Uh, he started abusing alcohol. And in addition to that, I was, I was bullied often by my friends, for my faith, for the music I listened to. And so early on, I was just hurting. I had these deep, unmet longings to be loved, to be safe, to be accepted. And in response to that, looking back, I I saw how I started to develop these ways of surviving. I started getting anxious, worrying, wondering, when's the next time that I'm going to be rejected or embarrassed or, or not safe? I started getting really depressed often, developing this uh, pattern of turning inward in agreeing with the lies that so many people around me were telling me. I got addicted to pornography. I got addicted to food. And ultimately, I, I tried for years to try and fight through these things, to try and find freedom. Um, but I didn't know what was ultimately causing them. You know, I wanted so badly to be free and to uh, not have these issues. And it wasn't until I got involved in counseling and therapy and recovery groups that I started to realize that all of these issues were uh, ultimately symptoms. They were signals that needed to be answered. They were signals of this deeper hurt, this deeper, these deeper needs that had gone unmet or had been rejected. And so it was through a lot of that and, and support from other people that I started to get free from pornography, from depression, from anxiety. I started to see I started to see my view of myself completely change and believe the value that that God had created me with. And uh now uh, I'm thankful to be helping others, helping others who have struggled with the same things that I have struggled with. Yeah, and how ironic is it like people find anything to make fun of someone with, right? Even mm-hmm. like the music that you listen to, like you can't help like what music you like. So for me, I know we both really like metal music. So I remember like I never got picked on for it, but I remember being afraid to let people know that I really like heavy rock music. And as much as it sounds super silly, like when you're in middle school and high school, things like that matter to you. They're like, the end all be all of your friendships that you have, even if they're not real friendships, you want to be encountered. You want to be loved. You want to be seen in middle school, high school, and even on like elementary school, college, like, you know, people always have that longing to be accepted. And if you're not listening to pop and rap and everything else in between, you're automatically outcasted. And I feel like the youth of this generation are kind of changing that, but dude, like, even though you're a good bit older than me, I could totally relate with that. It's like, 
dude, like what? Because I like to listen to something different than you. Let's make fun of it. It, It's super wild to me. But Mm -hmm. you went through all that stuff in your childhood and it created baggage that you had to carry. Um, Explain to me a little bit, like I know you talked about diving into therapy and counseling and such, but when you really started to find this freedom, was it like a night and day experience? Like after going through the trauma with your dad, after going through the bullying, etc. When you started to find this freedom that you talk about, was it like that weight got lifted off of your shoulders or was it slowly just taking baggage off until you finally embraced that freedom that God had given you? Yeah, a lot of it was slow in a process. And I'm about 10 years 10 years now into into my healing journey. And it's, I think I've logged over 500 hours of counseling and therapy um, and, and so much more. I've been involved in recovery groups for early on. I was involved in recovery groups for about four to six years. Um, and, And so it was just one realization after another, you know, I think when you go through so much um, it would probably be too much uh, to, well, you don't change overnight, but it would be too much to have all of the realizations and everything all at once. You know, it's, it's a journey that, that God takes us on. So it was one realization after another. I think early on, one of the most significant realizations, well, there, there was two that really helped. One was realizing, we talk about this in the book that um, all of our struggles, nothing is random. So for me, most of my life, I thought, the anxiety and the depression were just biological things I was born with. And then I thought, you know, my unhealthy behaviors, the overeating, the um, addiction to pornography, <clears throat> I thought those things were just due to this sin nature that I was I was born with. But what I didn't realize was how my environment had set me up um, to deal with those things. And so I talked about a couple minutes ago that anxiety was about, okay, I'm unsafe and I'm having all this rejection. Well, then my brain gets hardwired to protect me. Well, it is hardwired to protect me, but all these these patterns keep coming up and are developed of anxiety to protect me, uh, to keep me safe from that happening again. Or um, with depression at some point, you just can't fight the lies. I couldn't fight the lies as a kid anymore. So I started turning inward and agreeing with, with the lies. And then when it came to pornography, you know, feeling so rejected, feeling so uh, alone um, in, in pornography, it was a way to try to find some pseudo sense of love and acceptance that was temporary. And of course, pornography also releases a super flow of dopamine. It actually releases more dopamine than having sex with another human being. So that was like a, a almost like a drug inside of my brain that I got addicted to. And so realizing what these things were about, they're not random, questioning them, figuring out why did I develop these things? What needs to be healed? Um, and where, you know, how to go about all of that was one of the first realizations because a problem identified is a problem half solved. Yet so many of us, we don't know what's below our problems, what's causing our problems. So Figuring that out was one of the first steps. Uh, And then the second one was just what I started to realize about brain science and how, you know, um, in in our brain, as we make decisions, every thought, every action starts to lead to these fixed neurological pathways in our brain. 
you think about when you're a kid learning how to talk, learning how to walk, over time it gets easier and easier to do because your brain is developing fixed neurological pathways. It's kind of like muscle memory. And so what happens is it becomes, it develops these physical ruts so fixed in your brain that it's almost second nature to keep doing them. And it's so hard to stop. So I realized that, oh my gosh, with pornography, it's not that I'm, that I just don't love Jesus enough. It's not that I'm this worthless sinner. It's um, that I do love Jesus a lot. I'm of, I'm not worthless. I'm of great value yet my brain has been rewired and it's going to be a process of um, Romans 12 2, being transformed by the renewing of our minds of neuroplasticity that our brain is moldable. So realizing, okay, my brain can change. I can get out of this. I can get to the point where I no longer struggle with this. And uh, that's what's happened in my life as now I've been free from porn for over eight years. So those are the wow. the two significant um, breakthrough moments I would say I had early on. So one thing that instantly comes to my mind is like a parent's reaction to finding their child watching porn. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing like I know for a fact from personal experiences, like you hear, dude, that's perverted. That's this, that's that. But in today's culture, like if you're not watching porn, you're weird, right? So my question is for parents that find their child watching porn, like it's not necessarily because they're like overly perverted. It's not that they have a weird mind. A lot of times, like for me, for example, I just had similar to you, like I just had this longing to be loved and accepted and I didn't know where to find it. And I was exposed to porn at a young age and I didn't ask to be exposed to it. It was just Mm -hmm. something that was thrown on me. Right. Um, like that situation where, oh, you don't want to look weird in front of your friends, but you also know there's something wrong. I remember the first time just being like, there's something not right about this. But at the same time, like you're talking about, your brain just goes into that mode of, oh, wow, this has to be good. It feels good, right? Mm -hmm. So for a parent that walks in, finds their child looking at porn, how should they address that? Um, First instinct for a parent's like, no, don't do that. You're in trouble. Like you're grounded for nine years, you know? But I'm just curious to know, like in Ben Bennett's brain, how should a parent react to that? Great question, Trevor. You know, with with anything, we've got to look at the heart of God. And Romans 2 says that it's God's kindness, not his condemnation, that leads us to repent or to change or to turn our turn around or, or to change our thinking. And so what we've we've got to realize, as hard as it is, you know, I've worked with so many parents the past 10 years in, in ministry. We've got to realize a couple things. One is that um, 99% of the time, kids are stumbling across pornography. The porn industry is going uh, uh, after kids, trying to create these lifelong consumers. And a child's brain is so moldable and su- uh, susceptible to um, being impacted, having these images imprinted, that if they can get them at a young age, they know they'll have these lifelong consumers. So we've got to have compassion for for our kids because they're being exposed by their friends on on the school bus who are showing them pornography. They're coming across uh, ads in or or pop-ups in video games. Um, Or when we're silent, as Christians, when we're not talking about the harms of porn and how God has something better in his design of sex, a kids might get on there and Google sex because they hear somebody 
talking about it. And then they come across hardcore pornography today, which is violent. It's abusive. It's got themes of sexism and racism. It's just grotesque. And so we can't blame kids for being introduced by somebody else or their curiosity where we are silent and not talking about the harms of it. So that would be one thing, having that perspective shift. And then the second one is, is we need to have compassion and, and, and kindness. I, you know, if, if you think about um, how a kid might be introduced to that and, and, and the shock and the, the scare that it might cause, um, just think about what it does to their, their brain and have com- compassion that, oh my gosh, this is, I don't need to be angry at my child. I need to be, um, I need to grieve with them that this has happened, that they've come across this. I need to have compassion and I need to support them because if, if condemnation happens in those moments and, and there's, there's yelling or getting upset at them, then that is going to teach them that you're not safe to talk to about these things in their struggles, but exactly what they need is you to be there and to support them and to help them get out of it. And, you know, as I've worked with parents the past couple of years, it's been awesome to see parents respond when they get this and they respond with compassion. And then they go to war with their kids against this thing. They don't go to war against their kids. They go to war against pornography with their kids and are able to come out of it. I've seen families completely get closer and healthier and completely change around or or completely turn around as a result of, of going after it together. And how how exactly can a parent go to war with their kid on pornography? That's such a great thought. Like, I would love to hear how you do that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I've worked with somebody recently who the past year this has happened with. What I've seen in, in their life that's really been helpful is, is one, um, them taking the parent taking a posture of, hey, we're your support. We want to help you if you're tempted come to us, let's, let's talk about it. Um, and having an open dialogue. And so talking about why it's wrong, but then also talking about, Hey, we want to support you in this. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to condemn you. We want to be your advocate. So let's continually talk about this and, and the parent, um, helping them and, and saying, uh, there's things you can do, like put covenant eyes on your devices or, um, even having a consequence of, uh, not having a, a smartphone for a while so that you can't access that pornography. Going through uh, a program together, like with the Res- Resolution Movement, we've got the Resolution Movement video series at resolutionmovement.org. And a parent and a, a child can go through that series together and talk about what are these underlying factors that may cause you to struggle with pornography or to get anxious or or whatnot. And really all of a sudden being an ally um, to this person, to the, 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 the teen or the, your son or your daughter to help them work through this. Yeah. And we're going to put the link for that in the description below, because I think that's an amazing tool to have. I want to bounce back to one of the other things you were talking about and just having deep shame and thinking that we're something, there was something wrong with you. Um, I, I can relate with that a lot going through like being in middle school, high school, mostly for me was like, I wasn't trying to fit in. I had a ton of friends, but I just always had this longing for more. I thought like, 
I was always super shy around girls. Still am. Like I'm not the best ladies man out there. You know, it's just not my cup of tea. But even in dating, like it's super taboo for me. Right. So of course, going through that in high school, middle school, I was like, oh, there's something wrong with me. But now I realize like, I'm just a shy dude. I'm very outgoing. But when it comes to that market, like there's nothing wrong with me. It just takes a little bit of icebreakers to get to that scenario. So what was that experience like for you just diving through and analyzing almost going Nancy Drew on the issues that you're having in your brain? Um, what realizations did you have with just navigating through that deep shame and just feeling like there was something wrong with you at all times? Yeah, Trevor, I'd say two things, and, and we explore these throughout the book. One is that, and this was so significant to me because I thought I had all these thoughts that I, or beliefs that I thought were biblical, like, okay, God just tolerates me as a result of Jesus dying on the cross for me. Um, so that's what I was walking around with. I was believing, okay, I'm this worthless sinner. I'm not good enough. This is what the Bible says. God just tolerates me. I was basically living from a, a mindset of the Bible begins with Genesis three, with the fall of mankind, rather than Genesis one and two, that we are made in the image of God, which means, um, we have so much value. That's why we can say that people are valuable, that they're lovable because, um, they're not just plants. They're not just ants or bugs. No, they're made in God's image. They've, they've inherent value. They have a soul. They, they reflect the image of God. Nobody has, does, or ever will look just like you or be just like you. You're, you're indispensable. And we see that in the, in the Bible, Genesis one and and two. Um, so we really need to learn how to see ourselves the way God sees us in uh, Psalm eight. I believe it is it. Oftentimes we like to quote, who are you, O oh God, that you're mindful of me? And we're kind of, uh, it's almost like a way that it kind of feels like humility or, or we're saying, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough, but how good are you, God, that you tolerate me? But we forget that the next couple of verses say, yet you made them only a little bit lower than God. That's a profound statement. Uh, God created us. And it's not prideful. It's, it's actually humility to say, let me see myself the way God sees me. He has a huge, uh, important view of me, and that's why I'm so so valuable. And so, learning that that's actually that's actually true, regardless of the people that have said negative things to me, hurt me, bullied me, they don't have the final say. They don't get determine get to determine my my value. The one who created me gets to determine my value, and he has. I couldn't possibly have any greater value. The person who knows me the best loves me the most. And so that was significant for me to start to, to learn and try to believe. And every time negative thoughts came up, lies came up, rejection came up, to sit there and, and visualize God and his, his love for me and how much he um, wants me and desires me. And um, that started to get deeply embedded in, in my heart. So that would be one thing that was really helpful. Uh, second thing is all throughout the book, we talk about these seven longings of the, the heart or these seven persistent cravings and needs that God created everybody to have fulfilled acceptance, attention, safety, affirmation of our feelings. 
And when those are fulfilled, we have a flourishing life. They're meant to be fulfilled by God and others in, in those healthy relationships. Yet so many of us have unmet longings and we do something with those unmet longings. When we experience rejection rather than acceptance, danger rather than safety, whether or not we realize it, we're going to fill those or respond to those and, and try and do something to feel at ease. And that's why we can live our lives so full of shame, so feel full of worry or anxiety, or we can develop unhealthy patterns, um, sin, uh, trying to perform for our value, trying to look the part, trying to you know have the certain amount of money, trying to get acceptance in in an unhealthy way in relationships because we're developed or we're created to have these seven longings fulfilled. But when they're not fulfilled, we respond to those oftentimes in, in unhealthy ways. Yeah. And one thing I'd really like to touch on is the topic of suicide, because um, as you know, like I've lost loved ones to suicide, uh, but I know that at the age of 17, you encountered um, a suicide unlike anything I could ever imagine. And I just want to hear like, even before it happened, after it happened, what was the process of healing like for you and accepting like what happened? And yeah, like I'd just love to hear like your story behind that. Yeah. So when I was 17, it was one summer morning. Um, my parents woke me up and, and I knew something was going on. Um, and they just started talking to me and shared that my grandfather, who was, I think, 92 at the time, uh, had died by suicide and that we were going to go all get pack our stuff, get in the car, go down to that funeral. And uh, it was such it was such a shock to me. I was instantly angry. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things in, in my life up until that point that I was blaming God for. And this was kind of like the last straw. And so rather than processing it uh, with people, rather than, you know, healing from it, I, I ran from it. Um, I was angry. I, I just put walls up. I started, you know, running from God. I didn't really want anything to do with him. And I started reacting. I started um, getting so angry at people a lot of judgments, a lot of anger, a lot of uh, just not being a kind person, uh, burning bridges with relationships, and just going full on into overeating and binging on pornography that next year. And so it was full on running from it. Um, and I didn't even know at the time that I was, you know, coping with that and so many other things. All I knew was I was angry and I was done with God. And it was about a year and a half uh, later that I started to encounter some some people when I went away to college who were radically in love with, with Jesus and radically in love with people. And I just started to open up to them because they were safe people. They, they, I didn't know it at the time, but they were meeting these seven longings. You know, they cared about me. They were safe. They weren't judging me. They invited me out to things. They, uh, it was I always felt almost like a celebrity hanging out with them. And um, 
that's what allowed me to start to feel safe and, and to open up. I remember with one guy in particular, we got pretty close. He was like a older brother to me. And I started to share some things with him. And uh, that's what allowed me to start to open up and to process this and other things and the anger I had and, and eventually to be honest with God and to, to work through that and, and to kind of let go of, of the pain and, um, and, and those things in my life. And I know when it comes to the topic of suicide, how we often feel is that we often feel like, okay, I'm a burden in life. I'm what's wrong. Um, I want to, I want to end my life. I want to get out of here so I can stop being a burden to other people. But I think what we often forget is that, uh, the pain doesn't end with suicide. It, it, the pain that we are experiencing internally moves out to other people. And then they experience the pain. They experience the loss of us, the, con the, the confusion and, and the hurt. So it causes this ripple effect in, in, um, you know, as I, throughout my life and, and early on my life struggled with suicidal thoughts, I never thought of that. I never, I, I just felt so worthless and like a burden and, and the pain of living was so much. So I thought it would be better not to be here, but I didn't think of the impact on my friends, on my family. And I got to see that impact with the, the suicide of, of my grandfather. And, um, so wish, you know, uh, he never did that. So wish I could have talked to him. So wish he reached out for help and, um, talked to somebody about what he was, you know, going through. Um, was your grandma in the picture there or was she already gone? Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandmother was in the picture there and, um, yeah, she was confused and, and hurt mm -hmm. by it all. And it was a shock to her. And, uh, I know that was extremely painful. Yeah. That's the topic of suicide in general used to be so taboo. Like I remember I'm from a tiny town, as you know, we didn't encounter suicide like that. Um, I can remember like while I was in school, there was only one like throughout the whole city that I heard of. Mm. And then after I graduated, I remember I was on tour and I got a phone call that a kid that went to my, like was currently enrolled in the high school that I went to took um, his life. And then maybe a week later, a young lady decided she was going to do the same thing. So that was like the first time it, like touch down here in the home base, but friends um, that I've known and grown with have also taken their lives. And it's like even going from someone saying, Oh, they killed themselves to, Oh, they died by suicide. That's a whole night and day scenario when it comes to the topic. And we've had um, Kayla Steckline and a bunch of other advocates that are just mm -hmm. really sound in the alarm for this thing. Like it's an epidemic people just, it's not that everyone's just not choosing life, right? There's mental incidents where people just like, it's, it's a disorder. They, that's the only light at the end of their tunnel that they can see. And, here in 2021, like we're still in a pandemic, unfortunately. I thought we were hitting the tail end, but it looks like things are getting ramped back up. People feel hopeless. They feel afraid. They feel lost. They feel lonely. They just want community. So 
what can we touch on that would really just impact someone that might be listening to this right now and being like, dude, everything you're talking about is something that I deal with on a daily basis. I don't want to be here. I want to take my life. I want to die by suicide. If you were to be speaking one-on-one, like I believe podcasting interviews in general, we are talking to someone like that. For that person that's listening to this right now, that's struggling and just doesn't see any hope, what would the message from Ben Bennett be? Yeah, I can only speak from, well, I think the thing that would be most helpful is to speak from my own life, the times that I have felt so hopeless, the times that I have literally been convinced in my own mind that things will never get better, that think about the, the porn addiction and struggling with that for what, being addicted for 14 years and trying all kinds of things. I think about the anxiety, the depression, OCD, um, you know, relationships. I think it's so easy to be convinced that this is going to be a struggle forever. This is what I'm going to deal with forever, that things are never going to get better. But yet, if I look back on my life and look back on the hardships, it's we go through valleys and we go through mountaintops. I think of Psalm 23. What we've got to remember is that um, when we're going through the valley, the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, one translation says, I lack nothing. I shall not want. I lack nothing. What? How can I lack nothing when it feels like I'm going through hell on earth? And it says, because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we've got to remember Psalm 23, we're walking through the valley. You go through the valley, you'll hit the mountaintop. You'll go through the valley, you'll hit the mountaintop. So what's been helpful for me in my own life is when I feel so hopeless is to remember, oh, wait, I went through that thing and God got me out of it. People supported me. Things got better. And then there was something else that I went through and then I got out of it and things got better. And so to remember, I think this is so helpful if we can remember that our suffering is temporary. Our struggles are temporary. Things are going to get better more, more often than not in this life. Think back on a time when you went through something hard and it got better. And that can give you confidence. Okay, there is a light at the end of the tunnel in this life. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. I remember a time when I've, it was, it was about uh, one, one morning I woke up so depressed and I've never felt that depressed before. And it was like just this disgusting grief feeling. Nothing could bring me joy, uh, but it only lasted eight days. Get in it. I was like, okay, God, is this going to be the rest of my life? And just day after day, asking him, reaching out for help to people, eight days, you know, and, and it got better. And I've never felt that depressed again. And so, um, I would just encourage you to remember stuff you've been through and how it got better and that it will get better. And, um, also to, to remember that I believe God's going to use you. He's going to use you as you go through this to then help somebody else who's in the midst of it. And think of that. I think of Jesus before he went to the cross for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. If we can get a glimpse of it's going to get better. I remember when it did get better in the past was something I went through and who are the people, what is God going to do through this? Who are the people that I might be able to encourage and, and help or who might, yeah, who might I be able to talk to about this? I think that that will give you 
hope and enough um, encouragement to, to keep, you know, fighting this day by day. Wow. That's amazing. And free to thrive, how your hurt, struggles, and deepest longings can lead to a fulfilling life is available everywhere, including Amazon, where most of everything is purchased nowadays. So assuming everyone's going to pick it up there, but we're going to have the link in the description below on YouTube and on the audio experience, wherever you stream this podcast on. Ben, thank you so much for being here. This has been so fun. And uh, I know we'll do it again some other time and hopefully be able to uh, do that real high five in person soon. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Trevor, it's a joy to get to be with you. Love you, man. Thank you for your friendship. You're one of the most generous and authentic people I know. And it's just a privilege to be on the podcast today. Dude, thank you so much. And this episode has been brought to you by new release today as usual. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye now. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.